sometimes we also do our kids a disservice when we don't let them know that mm. we're having a hard time because then they don't feel okay with having a hard time also. So then yeah. they then turn, put on this facade that I'm okay. So I literally had to break it down to my children. It's okay to not be okay. And I kept yeah. saying it. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. If you're not having a good day, let me know. I understand. It's okay to not be okay. Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future after the loss of a spouse. I'm your host, Stacey Francis, President and CEO of Francis Financial, an award-winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. Melanie Zmar is our special guest today, and she shares her journey of love and loss. She's a two-time Amazon best-selling author and entrepreneur, a COVID loss and survivor advocate, as well as a mother of six. Melanie's shares her story with unbelievable bravery as well as authenticity and gives us as listeners insight into her grief journey. She shares that she has what's called grief storms and gives us the tools that we can use to help navigate our own grief. Melanie's also talks about how grace and space, giving her grace and space has allowed her to move forward and gives a special toolbox that she has created that helped her move forward and also can help you. And make sure you stay to the end because Melanie's talks about how being authentic and real with her grief and loss has helped her not only in her relationships with friends, but also helped her children deal with their grief of losing their loving father. So without further ado, please help me welcome our special guest today, Melanie's Mar. Melanie's, it's so nice to have you here. Melanie's and I have actually met each other in person. It was so nice, actually able to give a hug. We were both celebrating International Widows Day in Washington, D.C., speaking on Capitol Hill. And Melanie's was part of a panel that I was part of that was just so wonderful talking about the experiences of what it's like to lose your spouse and all of the implications and secondary losses that come with that of feeling isolated and financial, and you can all fill in the blank there. But I just want to bring a great big welcome to you, Melanie, to be here. And I just want to say thank you for being so brave to, to share your story. Thank you so much, Stacey, for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you. It's so weird. We normally meet people virtually first and then we meet in person and it's backwards now. We met in person first, now virtually again. So thank you for this opportunity and this chance. And thank you for being open and honest with your story. All of it, it helps me see and gives me hope. Everyone that was on that panel was just so wonderful it continued to inspire me and give me hope that, yeah, this world is difficult, but 
I have inspiration and I can see others who've gone through what I've gone through and they're still putting one foot in front of the other. They're still going, they're still moving, they're still supporting others. And it actually inspires me to continue to do the work that I would love to do and continue to do. And I have to say, you are one of those inspirations, putting one foot in front of another. Can you share your story and kind of what brings you to where we are here today? Sure. So I, like the rest of the world, was affected by the global pandemic. COVID took place. I, like everyone else, stayed at home with my children. They were virtually schooled. I worked remotely. My husband, however, was a concrete truck driver. And so construction still continued on. Yeah, They had some mandates where, you know, they wear masks and do different things, but it was kind of still unknown. And there wasn't really great protocol to how to handle situations. So he left out every day. And every day I worried that this unknown would affect our household. And eventually it did. Still to this date, we don't know exactly where he got COVID from, but he became sick around December of 2020 and got COVID. Our whole entire family got COVID. It was really, really bad for all of us, but he was the worst. He ended up being admitted to the hospital for about five to seven days. He was in ICU. They were giving him oxygen. He was actually minutes away from being placed on a ventilator because his oxygen levels kept dropping. And miraculously, the oxygen levels rose and he became better and well enough that they released him actually right before Christmas. We had a wonderful Christmas. We kind of thought we had gotten through the worst of it. January comes by, February, my birthday, which was February 22nd. And six days later, my husband passed at our home. He became unresponsive and he was gone. Just like that, my life literally changed before my eyes. I literally watched my husband take his last breaths and I thought I was going to die. At that particular moment myself, like I lost my breath. Like, how do I even move forward? There's no school for this. Like, there's no one who can prepare you for this. Yeah. I thought he had made it out of the worst. He had gone to the hospital, had been in ICU. So many people had gone to the hospital, been in ICU, didn't make it out of the hospital or make it out of ICU. But he came home. So I was just so confused trying to figure out, like, how is this my life now? And not only... Is it my life, but it's now my children's life. I had children, adults in college, a child in high school, and a child in elementary school. How do you reconcile all of this with varying age levels? So not only was it my grief, but the hardest part of my grief was watching my children grieve. You know, as mothers, we want to fix everything. Yeah. Fix that. So how do I handle it? And I think it was a loss of identity. I was a wife. So what am I now? It's just so hard. What you're saying, it's the loss of the person's presence. That is one loss, but there's all these other losses. The identity of who you are, loss of 
the father to your children, loss of his income, loss of what you thought your life was going to be together. We can go on and on and on. I can't imagine how you got through that. And a word that you've used in some of your writing, because FYI, we are talking to an amazing book author, and I want you to talk about your book, but you talk about it as your personal grief storm. I mean, I can imagine your entire life was a grief storm. How do you even navigate that? For me, I try to always educate people as much as possible. So the only way I could describe the whirlwinds of emotions, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. just everything going on, I call it a grief storm. It's almost like a tornado, like we know, just comes out of nowhere and literally destroys everything in its path. That's literally how I felt that the passing of my husband literally destroyed everything. Like you said, my identity, it felt like it destroyed my financial state, felt like it destroyed my life's purpose. I felt like it destroyed my intimacy. You know, people never really even talk about the intimacy of it, just everything. And how do you pick up the pieces just like someone who's had a tornado hit their home? How do you pick up the pieces of that? Do you rebuild the home in the same place or do you move and rebuild it somewhere else? How do you even function? Not only were we married, we were also business partners. We had a food truck together. So how am I supposed to regroup? (laughs) How am I supposed to regroup? He was a grill master. You know, I was the desserts and the sides, but he was the grill master. We created this based on recipes from my grandmother and my mother. I grew up in Tampa, Florida. So that whole Southern style cooking, you know, the mac and cheese and the collard greens. You are making me hungry. (laughs) And everything else and all the desserts that go along with the pound cakes and the and the banana puddings. So he handled the grills and the fryers. So he would fry the chicken. He would do the ribs and everything else. I was like... I can't do all of that by myself. How do I move forward in that? And I still haven't figured out the balance of that. My food truck has set silent since his death because I'm still trying to grapple with Mm -hmm. how do I even move forward without him by my side. You shared in your book some of the kind of revelations about grief and you likened it to being like a wave. And you share that sometimes the waves are soft, where other times they are intense, they are overwhelming, they are all-consuming. Do you find that true for you now? And it's still recent. I mean, it's, it's only been a few years. Yeah, it's going on three years. But do you find, too, that it's still somewhat unpredictable, that there can be something that just triggers? The triggers don't come as often as they did. At the beginning of my grief journey, I will say the triggers were constant or always because I was still trying to grapple with the fact that my husband was no longer here. But as I've moved on through the years and begin to allow myself to feel however I'm going to feel, give myself grace and space to feel it, the triggers don't come as often. 
actually, I have one drive that I store a lot of my documents and pictures and things like that. Every day it brings up your photos of the day for like multiple years and stuff. So recently a photo came up of my husband where previously it probably would have made me cry. It made me smile. And Mm -hmm. I knew at that point, not that I will ever stop grieving, which I always tell folks, you will never stop grieving. But I do say that hope is beginning to replace my loss in more areas than grief. So that's how I kind of work through the waves. But absolutely, those waves at the beginning were harsh. They would knock you off your feet, just like as if you're standing in the middle of an ocean. Yeah, or almost like I'm thinking of like violent, the word yes, violent. Yes, I've stood on beaches. I grew up in Florida and I've got an opportunity to go to Caribbean islands and things like that. And I've stood on beaches and sometimes the water is just soft and it kind of laps around your legs. Then other times I've been knocked completely off my feet and I believe, ooh. And it's so interesting to me. And I've been in various Facebook widow groups. And I remember when I first got there after losing my husband, someone was like, the first year is hard, but the second year is harder. And I kept saying, okay. I I feel like that's not what you need to hear. I said, there's no way. This is absolutely the hardest thing I've had to deal with. What do you mean here is harder? But I now realize as I look back, they were absolutely correct. That first year, I was so still numb. My body, my mind was still trying to wrap itself around the fact that my husband was no longer physically present with me that I didn't even have a time to really mourn the loss because my mind was still trying to search for him. Whereas the second year, my mind knew he was not coming through those doors ever again. And that in itself was devastating. And just the realization. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a little bit about Facebook group for widows. You also worked with a group called Grief Share. One of the blessings that we have is we actually met through an amazing organization called the Modern Widows Club. And you share how gathering with others physically, virtually, via Facebook, however that was, others that were grieving helped you feel not so alone. Can you share more about that? Absolutely. I am a person of information. As soon as I lost my husband, I was just out on the internet, like with those organizations, like uh-huh. all kind of things, just trying to find something to grab onto. Because like I said, no one had given me a manual or a book or yeah. anything. Like I was grasping for some kind of context to what I was feeling. So I found those Facebook groups and those widow groups. And it helps me so much because at one point I thought I was going crazy. The thoughts I was having, I thought I saw my husband in various places. Mm, All of these things, I was like, I am losing my mind. Someone come get me and commit me because I know I'm going crazy. And as soon as I got into those organizations, into those groups, I was like, oh my gosh. 
I am not losing my mind. This is like normal. This is yeah. normal. Yeah. And that's why I'm so adamant about continually sharing my story because I want to tell others in whatever form or fashion grief that you are experiencing, whatever you are feeling, whatever you see, it is so normal. You're fine. This is yeah. grief. Yeah. This is just grief. Yeah. I feel like as women, we judge ourselves. Absolutely. For me, I call her my bitchy Betty. She's on my right shoulder and she's really not so nice. That's why she has that name. Just judging me, telling me what I'm doing wrong. And I have to tell her to shut up of like, hey, this is okay. I'm feeling this way in this moment. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be in this feeling for the rest of my life. I need to feel it. I need to feel the waves. I need to work through it and I need to keep moving on. And that's actually the next question I have for you. Melanie, you've talked about the grief storm, the violent, huge waves coming at you, also triggers. But what I hear now is that those emotions, of course, are still there, but the waves are smaller and the triggers come less frequently. In your journey, what can you share with the other women that are listening now that can give them hope? And your journey is not done. It is never going to be done. But so many women I talk to, it's just a feeling of, can I do this? Is life ever going to be worth it again? Just all these worries and fears. And this is coming out in the beginning of the year in 2024. That's normally a time where people are looking forward. We're making resolutions. We're planning our trips with our loved ones. But it's different different for you and different for the women who are listening. Absolutely. I can just tell others to give themselves grace and space to just feel it. I think we're under this whole illusion or that we have to make everybody else comfortable in our grief. We don't want people to see us cry because then they become uncomfortable. And at one point I was doing that. I wouldn't cry in front of people or I wouldn't really tell people what I was feeling and going through. Now I do moments of transparency on Facebook. I'd be like, yeah, I was sitting in the middle of traffic and it's just boo crying like a baby because, you know, I don't like traffic. I don't like driving. And my husband usually was the one who would take me to certain places so I wouldn't have to drive in downtown D.C. I hate driving in D.C. And so I had a moment. And I just lost it. So for such a long time, I wouldn't tell anybody those things. And then after a while, I was like, who am I protecting or helping? I'm not helping or protecting anyone. My silence helps no one. So I'm going to give them the whole complete, ugly, everything, beautiful, everything that's in between to allow you to see that this is my journey. And once I realized that I just need to be me and be open in my journey. So many individuals have come to me and said they were so inspired. And I was like, I'm not inspiring. I just put one foot in front of the other and just ask God for direction and guidance and to help me. But once I allowed myself the space and grace to feel it all and work through it all, it has been a tremendous blessing to me. And it actually has made me more self-aware of myself 
of the people around me, of my triggers. And as I talked about before, you know, as mothers, we try to fix everything, do everything. We work beyond exhaustion. We work because we're moms. We got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. And then I realized if I'm exhausted, if I am tired, I'm going to rest. And I gave myself permission to rest. That's one of the things that this grief journey has taught me is how to be self-aware when I feel something to be curious about it. Why did that make you angry? What was going on with that? Why did you have that reaction? And that self-awareness makes me more empathetic to myself, but also to others. Something that I have a question that I think a lot of our listeners are thinking about being open with your feelings. How open can you be with your kids? Because I feel like there's a piece that you need to be open because if they think mom's fine, that mom's just sailing along, why do I feel so awful? What's my problem? Why can't I get beyond this? But at the same time, being worried about you. Melanie, how do you balance that? I mean, I don't know if anyone has the right answer here. I was about to say, I don't think I do a great job of it (laughs) because I'm mom. So you you try to hide something. I feel like we can't hide. My kids know. They know if I am stressed out at work and I can try and do everything, but bless them, they're like Sherlock Holmes. So you're right. Your kids know whether or not you tell them. They absolutely know. Sometimes we also do our kids a disservice when we don't let them know that Mm. we're having a hard time because then they don't feel okay with having a hard time also. So then they then turn, put on this facade that I'm okay. So I literally had to break it down to my children. It's okay to not be okay. And I kept saying it. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. If you're not having a good day, let me know. I understand. It's okay to not be okay. And some days my kids, I'll be like, this day is not a great day. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Mom just needs a moment. I'm an introvert. So I regain my strength by being alone. Give me a moment. Let me get settled within myself. Once I do, I'll come back out. But right at this point in time, I can't. (laughs) I can't do that. But yeah, we definitely. And I know I've hidden it many times before. But I do realize we do ourselves a disservice when we hide those things from our children. It's also magical what you're teaching your kids of like, guess what? I need a moment because there's going to be times when their life that they're going to need a moment and you're teaching them how to take that. That's beautiful. That's so amazing. And you're also teaching them that emotions are part of life, that we have them and that it's okay to express them and not be okay. And I love what you said, it's okay to not be okay, because there are so many times in our life where we are just really not okay. Absolutely. And then I also try to be an example of figuring out healthy ways to release my emotions. I had a counselor. I talked with a counselor. I would tell them, mom is going to be in her counseling session for this hour please do not knock on my bedroom door. I'm talking to my counselor. I got some things I need to tell her. (laughs) And they're like, okay. (laughs) So I'm making it okay for them to seek help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it normalizes it. And how important is that? I mean, it's so important. 
so important. And the other thing is figuring out what works for you. I like to walk my clients through figuring out their toolkit, grief toolbox, figuring out when you feel a certain way, what will you do? So for me, I like to do water aerobics. Oh, I love Um, that. That is my safe place. That is everything. If I could do water aerobics 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I probably would. I just love it because I love the water. So I figured out that portion of it. And that really helped me release stress and anxiety and anger and all that kind of stuff as you're punching the water and all this other kind of stuff. Then I like to do adult coloring books. It's just tranquil to me. Sometimes I like to sit in nature and just listen to birds chirping and dogs barking and cats meowing and look at squirrels go up and down trees. Sometimes I've walked in grass with my bare feet to ground myself. You just have to find the things that work for you. And what I tell my clients is, as your coach, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm trying to help you discover what it is that you need to do because each of us is different. Some people like to go to movies. I like movies also or concerts or this. There's certain things that we all do that we like and it brings us to a happy place or it brings us to a peaceful place. We just have to figure out what those things are. I love it. What is the one thing you think that people get wrong about widowhood and grief? Not only widowhood and grief, widowhood in itself, probably grief in general, is that you'll get over it. There's a time frame. Once you walk through those steps of grief, you should be fine. And I'm like, that doesn't sit well with me because I feel like if I get over, then that means I forget my husband or I forget the love between us. That just doesn't sit well with me. So I've never really even talked about the stages of grief or anything like that or a time frame. You should be finished grieving in two years or three years. Like grief is love. And as long as you love an individual, you will grieve because they're no longer physically here. And I think that's probably the biggest misconception, perception about grief until someone actually has their grief moment and grief storm. Yep. So much of what you're saying is so important. And I want you to talk about your upcoming book because I know that everyone's listening wants more of this. So, (laughs) and I love the title, What the Grief, A Widow's Grief and Loss Becomes Lessons of Hope and Triumph. Tell me more about your book and when it's coming out, how people can get it and read it and learn. Absolutely. So I've been actually working on this book for about two years. As we talked about my grief toolkit that I talked about before, one of my go-to tools is journaling. And so I've been journaling my grief journey. I would have days where I was angry and I would write, dear God, I'm angry. I don't understand this, all of these other things. Or I'd be like, I smiled today. I had a great day, but this feels wrong because my husband's not here. So I would just start journaling these things. And then I realized that as I look back on some of those entries, I was just like, it's probably general information about grief in its totality that somebody else probably could use 
not just being a widow, but someone else who's lost someone really close to them. I was like, yeah, let me put it together in a kind of a book. So it's like 10 different misperceptions of grief that I kind of go into and tell stories and kind of insert some of my journal entries and things into that. I'm hoping to have it out in 2024. That's the goal. Like I said, I've been working on it for about two years now. And anyone who's interested, please make sure you visit my website, melaniesmar.com, for more information. It should give you links and information to that and things like that. But yeah, that's like my baby. I've been a co-author of two previous books before and had a chapter in those books. But for this to be a whole complete book right. that wow. I wrote myself, it is a bit overwhelming. Like I read through it. It just doesn't feel like it's me who wrote it, but I know I wrote it. But Yeah, just, you wrote it's it. Just, yeah, it's just, it's just a different. Yeah. So Melanie, I'm that's really excited. fabulous. And for everyone listening, we're going to be putting in show notes some great information. First off, the website that Melanie's just shared, so that it will be there. We'll also include her Facebook, her Instagram, link to her different posts, as well as her email. So you can all stay in contact. And I'm just so honored to know you. I am just so appreciative that you share your story because it's unbelievably brave and writing this book and putting your experiences out there to help other women. I mean, that's just the epitome of paying it forward. And all I can say is that from myself and all the women that are listening now, we are giving you the biggest hug that this podcast can deliver across the airwaves. I just am so appreciative of you being here, Melanie. Thank you so much, Stacey, for having me and giving me a platform to share my story. As I said before, my silence helps no one. So being given a platform to just even tell a little portion of my story. It's, yeah. I'm so grateful and so appreciative. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And it was awesome to have you here. Thank you again. Thank you. Melanie's talked about just struggling to find the information she needed, especially after losing her spouse. And I want to make sure that all of our listeners know that there is a special book I have written called Financial Help for Widows, a complete resource guide that you can go to www.francisfinancial.com. In the book, you're going to find worksheets, great information, everything you need to know to make sure that you're on track financially. And if you have any questions, please reach out to me at stacy at francisfinancial.com. I am here and our specialty is helping women put their life back together financially after the death of their spouse. We are here for you. You don't need to do it alone. Please do reach out. Again, www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you so much for joining me on our podcast, Financially Ever After Widowhood. We'll be seeing you in two short weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call and the number is 347-682-5580. Let me say that again, 347-682-5580. 
Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com or you can email me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor, whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.